Welcome to the Food-Minded Fellow Podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Smith. I recently had the opportunity to speak to a very interesting island character. Matthew Dix, Farm Director for Island Grown Initiative. Island Grown Initiative is a multifaceted nonprofit with a mission to help support the growth and consumption of more local food on Martha's Vineyard. As a nonprofit, they find themselves in a unique position where they can help identify and find solutions to problems that face the food ecosystem on Martha's Vineyard and implement those solutions from farming to distribution. I caught up with Matthew at IGI's farm in Vineyard Haven. IGI took over control of this 40-acre farm in 2013. I was working in land conservation at, at the time. They hired a farm director to focus mainly on their hydroponic operation in this uh, 30,000 square foot greenhouse that we're sitting in right now. Once that was turned around and systems up and running and fixed, more or less, he sort of moved on. And I, I was looking for a director. I had a, a long experience in uh, vegetable farming on the vineyard, as well as uh, connections through the conservation movement to most of the people in most of the towns on the island. So uh, they approached me um, about coming in, stepping in as, as a director to take it through to the next step. And um, I, uh, I took the bait. So here we are. Long before moving to Martha's Vineyard, Matthew was raised on a dairy farm in Vermont. As far back as he can remember, he's been involved with pasturing cows, raising chickens, and maintaining gardens. My wife and I moved here in 1990. Um, I was working uh, in land conservation out here, and she was landscaping and trying to figure out a way to get ourselves more in touch with our food. So we started growing vegetables in private gardens across her accounts. We'd convince the various property owners to let us farm parts of their garden and take the produce and sell at the farmer's market or wherever we could. Uh, that grew uh, and grew till, uh, luckily for us, uh, 1994, we were able to buy a farm up in Chilmark ourselves and then started, uh, you know, full scale. I know her full-time job was a vegetable gardening and then we uh, farming and we learned from there. The farm Matthew's referring to is North Tabor Farm, where his wife Rebecca Miller is still a full-time vegetable gardener. They're regulars at the West Tisbury Farmer's Market and were one of the first farms that I became acquainted with as a chef when I moved to this island. As Matthew assumed his role as the farm director with IGI, they shifted their focus from the indoor hydroponic garden. Focusing mainly on rejuvenating their uh, 25 acres of outside ground here, you know, really starting a more or less full-on regenerative uh, farming experiment trying to, you know, low impact and no tillage, you know, that sort of all hands on deck, sort of let's solve the world and, you know, the world's problems and create a, you know, a utopia. That's what we're working on, so, yeah. We've all heard the term sustainable farming, but what Matthew and the folks at IGI are looking at is a broader picture. By practicing regenerative farming techniques, they're hoping to regenerate the soil and establish a farming practice that may become sustainable for the future. Sustainable was the buzzword for so many years, um, but people look at the condition of the world today, look at um, the condition of agricultural soils worldwide, say nothing in the United States, and understand that sustainability is no longer an option. We can't, if we sustain where we are right now, you know, we're not going to survive. So we need to regenerate, we need to actually create um, a better future in, in the farmlands that we have. And by doing so, we're sequestering carbon from the air. According to NASA, since the industrial age began, 
humans have been major contributors to a 45% increase in carbon dioxide in the Earth's atmosphere, mostly through the burning of fossil fuels. Many modern farming techniques rely heavily on gas-burning machines. Most of the agri agricultural world that we live in is machine-based, is made to pulverize soil, is made to, you know, we created a ton of steel products throughout the decades that can really do a fine job of making the you know, quintessential perfect garden bed when you look at it. But Matthew is quick to point out... That's not what we're about. We're about finding ways to produce, you know, ground that can take seed. You can't plant a lettuce seed into a lawn and say, this is no-till farming, this is great, I'm just going to go drill a little hole in an existing lawn and expect this stuff to grow up through it. Um, there are techniques that we're, that we're playing with and that the world, I mean, the, the movement's playing with. It's not just us, and we're not, you know, um, working in a vacuum here. There's a whole movement across this country and across the, at least the Western world, to sort of understand um, how to go about operating in a no-till system on a large scale. IGI is no backyard garden. With 25 acres outside that had been worked very hard by the previous farmers, the soil itself was in need of some help from Matthew. This was a conventional um, farm, mainly strawberries. So this soil was worked pretty heavy and pretty hard um, over the years prior to our ownership. Um, and what that does for legacy issues with soil is you have major compaction issues. Uh, you have out here, we are blessed. Uh, you may think we're on the vineyard and we're going to be all sand. Out here, we're blessed with quite a bit of uh, a clay loam type, which can, which it sounds great for water retention, and it is uh, when it's compact um, and miscared for, as it was throughout the decades. Uh, it's pavement in certain times of the summer when it's dry. Um, so the, our objective uh, to increase productivity in the outside land is to bring uh, organic matter back in. Uh, we do that for an, uh, a few different ways, obviously focusing on the traditional use of cover crops. Um, obviously any open ground is not healthy. The, you know, the Mother Earth doesn't understand ground that doesn't have things growing in it. Uh, so we keep stuff covered and uh, various rotation of um, multitudes of cover crops depending on the season the next vegetable crop that's following that cover crop that that's very dependent upon what what we're going to put in the ground for a cover um and that being said that incorporated with a no-till approach um really allows the organic matter to develop fairly quickly tilling is what volatizes so much of that organic matter tilling is also what stimulates so much of that biological activity that's consuming that matter and then off-gassing it as soon as you expose the soil to the air uh, and carbon dioxide into the air and that just sort of it's like dumping gasoline on a fire it just really explodes up so we're attention attempting to get away from that as much as possible simply put all of that tilling we've been doing is killing most of our soil's biology in order to help bolster that biology igi employs an age-old technique most good farms have a compost operation attached to them, right? Dairy farms realized very, you know, centuries ago that this, their, the, the waste from those cows is really what's vital to the health of their pasture and their forage land the previous, the next year. Um, and vegetable farming is no different. Um, it's just more challenging because you don't have a herd of animals and hay making this compost for you, so you have to figure ways of getting it. And IGI has done just that by establishing an island-wide um, 
food rescue is what we call it initially program where we rescue food that would be more or less thrown into a landfill off island you heard that right all of the garbage on martha's vineyard gets shipped off island to be processed including the food waste that gets thrown out so island grown initiative is essentially rescuing it bringing it here to the farm composting it uh, mixing it with local yard waste leaves and wood chips uh, mainly uh, to create what, what everyone knows is compost. IGI has built a massive composter to help them accomplish the goal of processing all of this food waste. Most people are familiar with the, those backyard composters, which is a green drum that you can spin around and theoretically makes compost for you out there. Um, this is built on the same lines as one of those. This is a big, it's called an, a, a rotary drum. It's essentially a big eight foot by 45 foot tube that has a big chain that spins it very slowly about four times an hour when it's on. Uh, we put food waste mixed with, like I said before, our local uh, yard waste leaves or wood chips into one end of it. It's built on a slight angle, so you put stuff in one end in about three days it reaches itself down to the other end where it comes out. The reason for using this large closed system is to keep pests at bay. There are other reasons, but I'm all for keeping the rats out of our gardens. By the end of 2019, IGI estimates it will have processed more than 340 tons of island food waste. That's just a drop in the bucket for what we estimate the whole vineyard produces. But still, IGI is doing its part to help rescue this food that was destined for the dump. Matthew and the folks at IGI go beyond compost to better understand diversity in soil's biology. Diversity of biology in your soil is really what, again, the movement right now is understanding better that, um, you know, obviously most people understand monocropping is a very challenging way to farm. The, the, the earth wasn't designed to, as a monoculture, you know, the you know, quote-unquote Garden of Eden that we exist in was not, you know, growing corn and soy all the time. Um, so what happens when you grow a few different things, you get soil that's really not resilient. Another way to introduce diversity into the soil's biology is to employ another ancient practice. Grazing of animals, right? Animal feces is a huge, um, a huge benef benefit for the soil. Um, it adds a ton of bacteria, it adds a ton of, of uh, you know, energy through its nitrogen and other components in it to soil biome. Um, so it's a really delicate dance to, um, we're finding out here at, at, at the IGI's farm that we want a, you know, this sort of kabuki theater of cover crops growing in one zone for a three month period and that transitioning with maybe a grazing flock of sheep to go over that for a week or a week and a half period. Um, and then, you know, what that, what's that next step onto that? Also realizing that obviously if you graze animals, we can't put that right into some sort of a vegetable crop. We, we can't, we have to have a certain window of first food safety reasons, or I can't have certain crops growing within a certain you know, number of feet from these things, depending on, on the, you know, I don't want airborne contaminants for 
you know, whether it's E. coli or whatever is the challenges. I mean, there are certain things, but again, you want that diversity. You want that, not only do you want the sheep, I can just have a sheep grazing the same land over and over again. I want turkeys, I want chickens, I want cattle maybe at some point because they all graze differently. They all have different bacteria that follow them around. But IGI doesn't necessarily want to own a bunch of animals. So in order to tackle this issue, they've teamed up with a number of local farms, including the Good Farm. Who's raising, you know, a thousand chickens and few hundred turkeys every year and needs ground um, and has approached us and works out here Jefferson works out here with us or there's a you know a small grower that has about eight or ten sheep who um, you know always looking for places to put them and when we have patches of cover or patches of um, alfalfa that on a two-year cycle that we want grazed down before we transition it we can make a few phone calls and get some animals in here um, Actually, even this year, we brought the land bank's conservation goat herd in here for a, a week period to really do a major, as 120 goats and a, a major cleanup. You know, one sort of like whoosh, you know, again, just to get the diversity and also get the benefit of them eating the fence line clean of autumn olives and whatever else that was taking over the place. So with all the ground cleared, what exactly does this no-till farming look like? The big use right now is, is silage tarps. Um, we're not producing silage, um, but these are essentially large um, tarps that are developed for the curing of silage in the dairy industry. We are using it to essentially, you say our average size is 50 by 350. That's one of our work zones. Uh, we, we get tarps of that size, which is a big tarp. Um, roll it out, say we were transitioning from an alfalfa cover crop, a two-year cover, into a wanting to plant tomatoes into that one year. Um, we would essentially in the spring, early spring, roll out this tarp right on top of essentially um, re-sprouting alfalfa from the winter. Um, hold it down with sandbags so it doesn't fly away and then uh, essentially the, the biome that's underneath that alfalfa, um, once you essentially allow that to die off because you're depriving it of all this light, the biome that's underneath it consumes it from the bottom up. So when you peel that tarp off after two weeks, that soil is essentially bare. Um, not bare because I've rototilled it away, but bare because it's been consumed from underneath. The, the bacteria and the microorganisms have come up and eaten all the organic matter and sucked that back down into the soil. Uh, different from if it was to be rototilled, and some would be incorporated into the soil and some would just be volatilized off. Um, and then at that point, we go in with minimum uh, impact as possible. Obviously, I, again, I can't just sprinkle seed on top of that hard-packed ground that was generated from tarping it. Um, we have minimum tillage techniques, either it's whether it's um, um, spring-tooth harrows or even just special coulters that are made up on, essentially we're just fracturing the surface of the ground where we're planting the seed. I'm not rototilling a six-foot bed. I'm actually just making four lines that are essentially an inch deep into that that I can put my seed. Um, or there's, uh, last year we did a great experiment with some sun hemp and uh, sorghum sedan grass, which is again hugely uh, carbon intensive producing um, crops. This was eight feet by the time we rolled it down and essentially, so we had an eight foot uh, stand of, of a cover crop and we took a a tractor and rolled that flat, just essentially just a big roller like you would picture in a you know, a, not a steamroller from a road, but a, you know, a three foot by eight foot roller that could roll this stuff flat. 
we tarped it for two weeks. And there's so much organic matter that wasn't broken down completely when we removed the tarp, but it was essentially dried straw when we removed the tarp, which was essentially an inch deep of dried straw, that then we went through with some coulter knives, cut three different pharaohs, and we planted our, our fall broccoli and, and brassica crop into it. Um, a living, or, I mean, a mulch that was living, we rolled it flat, tarped it to kill it, and then that acted as a weed mat, so we had no weed issues at all going into the late September, early October uh, window for those brassicas. So, um, and again, all that carbon that was there is just working its way back into the soil. With all this talk about what was going on outside, I couldn't help but wonder what was going on with the giant greenhouse we were sitting in. So this is a big glass structure, 30,000 square feet of glass, concrete floor that's sloped so water drains down to the edges. Unfortunately, the hydroponic garden as it had been built relied heavily on chemical fertilizers and feed to support plant life. That type of operation wasn't um, really what IGI wanted to be involved with, um, meaning the amount of level of expertise um, involved. It's a pretty narrow field of people that are really good at that. And also, obviously, IGI is not comfortable with the, uh, that amount of traditional chemical style of uh, growing. Um, so. Our new movement towards, we, we, we're starting to really evaluate this greenhouse um, to fit into our strategic plan of regenerative healing of the soils, uh, um, capturing of carbon. Um, this greenhouse has a hard time fitting into that model. They do, however, see the greenhouse as a valuable asset and plan on trying to grow in soil in this greenhouse. Um, Again, not hydroponically. They would essentially be containerized because uh, we do have a concrete floor here. It's not like I can cut that away and dump soil, you know, and then grow like I do outside. But we, we do generate a lot of compost here, and there's ways of building your own soil and then bagging that and bringing that inside. So essentially, we would be, be able to make our own soil. All of this will present its own logistical challenges. But Matthew sees it as the role of the nonprofit to be the ones to experiment, to be the ones that figure out those logistical issues for those that are farming for profit. We want to the island to produce more local food. Um, and we believe that anyone that comes out here, the shops knows the farmer's market doesn't start till the first week of June, knowing that most restaurants are pretty starved for anything that resembles summer produce like tomatoes or peppers or eggplants until August, really. And then you only got four weeks or three and a half weeks. Um, so those people that want to take advantage of the early rents have no fresh tomatoes to buy in, in, until August, and then they have to compete with the high rents. So, um, so our goal is, to, at least here, is to, to experiment around with some uh, this, see if we can get some soil growing of some you know, high-value summer crops to sort of offset some of our um, other programs that, that could be really work into getting increasing the amount of local food in our in, in our institutional food programs here the schools the hospital the, the food pantry that's our other work that IGI does is to right now mainly work through our, our, our gleaning program IGI works directly with local farms to make sure that any unused food doesn't go to waste we go around and collect uh, crops from farmers who 
don't have a use for them and don't have the money to take them out of the field. They plant extra or they have a hedge or they thought they were going to have more or they thought they had a market and they realize they don't. Um, they hate to see this stuff just go to waste. So we have a, hundreds of volunteers that are signed up over the years to go in and work with our team leaders and get that produce out of the fields and then obviously distributed for free to the various councils on aging and food pantries and schools and hospitals and what have you that um, have use for that. So that's um, another part of IGI's mission that um, obviously takes resources, takes coordination, takes money. So if we can continue to to all work together sort of on that same thing, it's, 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 it's good. So we're, that's what we're about. Raising animals for meat on the island presents its own challenges. For instance, years ago, if you raised chickens for meat on the island, you had to send them off island to be processed at a USDA certified facility, frozen, and then shipped back to the island to be sold. As far as chickens goes, Island Grown Initiative has, that's one of their first actually endeavors was to, uh, get the state to allow uh, on-site mobile processing of poultry. And uh, we had a donor uh, at least, I don't know, even 10, 12 years ago now that donated money for the purchase of that equipment, and IGI has operated it since then. This mobile unit allows IGI to visit local farmers and even backyard growers to process their poultry on-site, cutting down on logistical issues and cutting way down on that carbon footprint that they're going after. Stuff like that, that... Um, we want to do more of here, um, especially in the regenerative movement I was talking about earlier. Um, some of the technologies that we're either going to be making or the different machines that no-till type cedars that are out there that um, we're hopefully going to be able to um, procure in the next year or so. And those will be under pretty tight supervision. Those will be ones that we could, you know, either go and loan out or go and perform a, a task at somebody else's farm because we believe in the mission and if this is the one thing holding them up from, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid and jumping on board, then we're going to, you know, make that available to have that happen for them. And that's sort of what the nonprofit wants to be envisioned as, is sort of this innovation hub or, the, you know, it's an it's a overused word, but a sort of a resource center, I guess, for, for the farmers. One of the resources that IGI provides is land. A few lucky farmers have the opportunity to farm right on IGI's property. We lease to uh, three different folks out, out here, various patches of ground. Um, we're in the process of um, working with those licensees to make sure that we're all on the same page as far as this regenerative movement. Um, we don't want to necessarily dictate to people how they farm, but it is a, our core strategic plan moving forward is to really focus on this, um, you know, no-till, you know, carbon sequestration type of farming. So we want to make sure the people that are, are, on, are on our property are essentially, look, we can offer our resources for them to take advantage of and, and sort of jump on. And if it's not where they're at, then at some point we'll probably phase them out and, uh, and, and not take over, but want to work with partners that, are, that you know, have the same objective that we do. The cost of living on Martha's Vineyard is quite high. With a short tourist season, Farmers have a small window in which they can make their living. That all adds up to expensive produce. The state of Massachusetts has established a program called the Healthy Initiative Program, or HIP. For families receiving support through the SNAP Benefits Program, it's essentially an incentive 
to purchase healthier options from local farmers markets. Through a Massachusetts Department of Agriculture grant, IGI was able to purchase a mobile farmer's market, essentially a truck that is equipped with some refrigeration, equipped with a fold-down um, platform for selling produce on it. Um, we take that to different neighborhoods throughout the, each town on the vineyard, actually, um, for a day or two a week for a few hours and set up a little farmer's market. It's just us. Um, working with the town's permission, obviously, in certain parking places. Um, but also trying to create a, a feel of, we, we staff it with, you know, energetic young folks that kind of make it, you know, seem fun to be at and try to make it a local place that people want to come um, for at least one of the stops. For the last couple of years, we've had the, one of the visiting nurses come and do health checks for, you know, just sort of a way to get the whole family to come up. And um, I know when we set up up at the uh, tribal center up in Aquina. Uh, it's, it's sort of a, a, they're a long way. So many grocery stores that were really well attended up there, but it's also, a, a, you know, their, their housing complex is, you know, nicely, densely populated. So you have a, almost a community feel to when you pull in there's people hanging out and coming with kids on bikes. And it's, it's really a fun place to, to be involved. And again, we're selling produce and we're taking people with SNAP benefits, but we do target our price structure on, uh, knowing we, we sell to anyone, um, but we do try to make sure we sell food at wholesale prices. And because uh, as anyone knows, the shops, the West Tisbury Farmers Market here or some of the other places are, as we were talking about earlier, small farms that need to make um, all a lot of all their farming income in a very short window. So they are targeting an audience or at least targeting a price point who is probably above the means of a lot of people that... Um, or either islanders that don't necessarily go to these places because they can't afford them or don't want to deal with the crowds. Um, but yeah, the, we try to come in at a much lower price point. IGI's core mission is to help promote the growth of local food. In recent years, there's been an influx of more farmers coming to produce food for the island. I asked Matthew what it is he thinks brings people here. Well, part of it is what draws people to the vineyard in general is is that it's it's when the summer season is approaching or when you can feel that rise in the energy cycle on the vineyard it, it's very addictive it's it's the whole place is alive with possibility right it sounds really cliche but it is you know that you're going to be inundated with a lot of people right you're going to be inundated with a lot of interest in whatever you're doing i mean people are very interested in what you know the quote-unquote islanders are doing and with any luck, that interest will continue to allow groups like IGI to grow the food ecosystem on Martha's Vineyard to the point where it may one day be sustainable. At the end of the day, for Matthew and for IGI, it's about leaving a tangible legacy, about changing a landscape, and leaving something behind that's better than the way you found it. To find out more about IGI and their incredible programming, visit www.igimv.org. Tune in next time when I get to visit with a lunch lady who's changing the world one meal at a time. My name is Jenny DeVivo, and I am the head chef and cafeteria director for the Up Island Schools on Martha's Vineyard. This podcast was funded in part by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. To find out more about Food Minded Fellow, visit www.foodmindedfellow.com.